I want to look at a, a passage that has troubled uh, many Calvinists. It actually should not. It's a passage that is an incredible encouragement uh, to us in our Christian life. But 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses uh, 14 and 15. Paul says, For the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus, and if that because is to have any powerful logical connection whatsoever, there's, there's got to be a tight, tight connection between the us and the we in the first part of the verse and the all in the next part and the them in the last part of the verse. They're all tightly connected together. For the love of Christ constrains us because we judge thus that if one died for all, all who? All the non-elect? No. It's all of us. All of the we. All of the elect. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now I wanted to quickly draw three lessons from this verse. And the first lesson is that Christ's death accomplished everything that it was intended to accomplish. All for whom Christ died are treated as having died in Him. Okay, they've already received the full punishment for their sin, so that in a nutshell is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Christ paid the full penalty for all the elect, and not one of those elect is going to uh, perish uh, every one of those elect was treated when Jesus died as having died in him. So Phil Kaiser's name was taken off of death row because I've already been executed. Uh, I, as far as the law is concerned, I no longer exist. Now, if Christ died for all of their sins, then they have no sins to answer for. Unfortunately, Arminians say that Christ bore all the sins of all the elect and the non-elect of the whole world. And... But if people don't believe, which actually would be a sin that he bore, but if people don't believe that they have to be punished for all of those sins that they were already punished for in Christ, and yet that gives absolutely no security. In fact, it takes away the security of the because in this passage. In fact, it violates God's doctrine of against double jeopardy. There is no double jeopardy in, in biblical law. So the all in the first part of the verse is the same as the all in the next part and the them in the last part of this verse. As one hymn writer wrote, Christ paid the price that law could never demand twice. Okay, there is no double jeopardy in God's justice. So um, what's going on here is we have security because there was a true substitution that took place. And as far as the law is concerned, we were executed and we no longer exist. Uh, you've heard of identity theft. Well, this is an identity gift. God's given us a new name, a new passport, uh, and the law can't come after us because we don't exist anymore. We are totally secure because we have already died. The second thing that God's love does is that it constrains us to a certain behavior. He says the love of Christ constrains us. And what does it constrain us to do? Paul says that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Now, a man who no longer lives for himself is under a pretty powerful constraint, if you ask me. 
uh, because it, it really is miraculous when you think about it. What does natural man, fleshly man, normally want to do? To live to himself, completely live to himself. He does not want all things to be of God and through God and to God. He hates the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Instead, natural man wants all things to be of man, through man, and to man. You know, there's a thousand fleshly impulses and desires that are constantly desiring to uh, be unleashed, and all of these appetites want free reign, and yet, miraculously, here are fallen men, women, and children who say no to the flesh and say yes to Christ, who say no to their fleshly desires, and they say yes to Christ's desires in their life. That's an amazing thing. And, and so this is saying that everyone for whom Christ died will be sanctified. They will be sanctified. They will be constrained. And so eternal security is not designed to make us uh, sinners to say, oh, well, whatever, I can sin like the devil and uh, I'm still secure in God. No, not at all. All for whom Christ died will be sanctified, will be made holy. And this is the way that Romans 8.29 words it. Uh, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, this is a meal of sanctification. It's God's pledge that He is going to sanctify you, and it's our pledge, I want to be sanctified. I am laying hold of this sanctification as well. So first of all, God's love give, uh, Christ's love gives us security. Second, Christ's love constrains us to live joyfully for Him. And the third thing that Christ's love does is it brings us liberty. That's true. We die to ourselves, but then we are resurrected. We live to Christ. He came so that we might have life and so that we might have it more abundantly. So if you take a look at verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. There is the constraint. We're not supposed to be living to our old life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there's the liberty. Okay, the... Um, constraint of the railroad tracks gives us maximum liberty, maximum power, and actually that's not an adequate uh, example, you know, the train, even though there's power and there's liberty there, because uh, God says there's so much more. He uses the marriage analogy. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And that's what's pledged to us in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we are married to Jesus, uh, the bride is, uh, which means we're constrained. We're not supposed to live any longer as unmarried people. We're constrained to Him, but what has He given us? Everything. Everything He has, we inherit, okay? We are joint heirs with Him. And so we make our pledge to give Him our all when we come to the Lord's table. He gives His pledge to give us His all. So the love that's graphically displayed in the Lord's table is a love that we can be secure in. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. The law can't come after us. Second, it's a love that constrains you to not live selfishly, but to live your life entirely for the Lord. And thirdly, it's a love that liberates us and makes all things new. So let's, as we receive His pledge of love for us, uh, let's pledge our love to Him in the Lord's table. And Father God, we do pledge our love to You. It is an awesome thing when we consider that you could have cast us all away into hell and yet you saved us and not one uh, is lost. That all for whom Christ died, died in Him, are being sanctified in Him, 
and have been ushered into more and more liberty. And one day we'll taste the full liberties of heaven. Father, we look forward to that day when we will be forever uh, cleansed from every vestige of sin. But in the meantime, we commit ourselves to holiness. We commit ourselves to that process of sanctification, of being conformed to the image of your Son. We thank you for that promise in Romans 8, 29, that you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son. And we love you, Father. We're so grateful that your grace is sufficient for this. And so as we partake of this sacrament uh, this morning, uh, we do so uh, with faith in your power, faith that uh, your grace is sufficient for us, and that if you are for us, who can be against us? And so we pray that you would set aside these common elements to a holy use, that you would be glorified in our partaking. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.